and turn to Colossians 3. We're looking at Colossians 3, verses 12 through 17. Uh, anyone here ever gone clothes shopping before starting a new job? Or uh, gotten new clothes for the new semester coming up? Um, or maybe it was a, a new uniform, uh, a new set of shirts, pants, dresses, or sweatpants if you're working remotely. Um, sometimes if you start um, a new job, you are given a uniform, like if you're joining the military or starting a job at a hospital. When I became an Anglican pastor, I had to acquire some new clothes, uh, clergy shirts, collars, uh, a robe. This, this is the OG robe. And, um, and a set of stoles. So um, our, often a new calling requires a new wardrobe, new clothes. Our clothes communicate to everyone that we're ready to take on this job and that we have accepted the identity for which this job calls us. Now, in our reading in Colossians, Paul encourages the people of God to upgrade their wardrobe to match their high calling. He calls us God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, in verse 12. And then in verses 16 and 17, he instructs us to speak and act on Christ's behalf to one another. What a vocation. What a job to be handpicked by God to be deeply loved by him, to be called holy, and, um, and then put to work to speak and act as if Christ himself were speaking and acting through us, through our voice, through our hands, through our intentions. Um, so a job like that requires a new set of clothes. So Paul says, put on then, or we could say clothe yourselves. That's a good way to translate it. Clothe yourselves then. You have a new calling, and so you have a new wardrobe. Now, we can debate how much of a real difference new clothes make, right? You could even go a little bit overboard on the new, you know, your first day of school, the first uh, day on the job, and it's, you're a little extra. And so it maybe, maybe it backfires. But the clothes that Paul describes in this passage make a very significant difference to uh, living out our calling as God's chosen people, holy and beloved. Um, these are the clothes that Jesus himself wore. These are the metaphorical clothes that Jesus himself wore. And so if we can learn to put on these clothes and wear them regularly, Jesus can trust us to represent him, especially to one another. How powerfully um, this would uh, work in our in our life and in our church, he will do more than we can ask or imagine. If we can trust him with these clothes, he can trust us to speak through us. He can trust us with his word and with his spirit to be his people to one another. But it starts with how we dress. So we're going to look at this on a few different levels, but let's start with the heart. Um, because the first set of clothes that we wear is that we clothe our hearts with compassion. Um, verse 12 says this. You can look along with me as I read. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. The clothes are the, of the heart are what clothed Jesus' heart. You look at this list 
Jesus clothed his heart with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Um, now, there's one uh, thing that starts out this, uh, this uh, list, and it's a phrase translated compassionate hearts. Compassionate hearts. This is actually a translation of two different words for compassion. Um, they're listed back to back. It's like clothe uh, yourselves, put on then, compassionate compassion. The first word for compassion is the compassion that the Good Samaritan felt for the man on the side of the road who had been beat up. It's a gut level compassion, kind of like coming from the deepest place of your heart. It's just this sense of empathy for someone who's suffering. And the second word for compassion is a word that sometimes you can translate from mercy, showing some grace to someone who doesn't deserve it, someone who's in a really bad spot. There's this gut-level compassion and this mercy, compassion, compassion. Uh, we layer up our socks in the winter here in the Midwest, and we layer, layer up our compassion in the church. And another way to think about this is that whatever your level of compassion for people, ask the Holy Spirit to double it. What is our heart clothed with? especially towards people who trigger us? What story are we telling ourselves about them? About 100 years ago, a pastor named John Watson said this, be kind for everyone you meet is fighting a hard battle. Be kind for everyone you meet is fighting a hard battle. And it's true, isn't it? Every last one of us is fighting a hard battle, even if it doesn't look like that on the outside. Our fears, we've all got them our losses, the, uh, the curses that we're breaking right now, the hills that we're climbing, the, the battle that we're fighting. If we knew the backstory and the battles of the people, especially in our community, who trigger us, we would probably feel more compassion for them. Um, in a different letter, Paul talks about the God of all compassion, which is the same word, um, translated at compassion in verse 12, who comforts us in our affliction. So God's heart for us in our hard battle is clothed with compassion. He, he sees the battle that we're fighting. He's kind and gentle towards us. He knows where all the scar tissue is and the sore spots are. And the Lord God himself is very approachable and kind and compassionate. And the way compassion works, that we've got to receive compassion and soak it up for our hard, hard battle before we can offer it to others. Jesus Christ gives us the overflowing compassion of the God, of all compassion. We can always go to him and say, Jesus, I'm fighting a hard battle. Can you see it? Would you give me the compassion of God? Would you comfort me in my affliction? And as we begin to soak that up, soak up the compassion of God for our hard battle, um, we begin to leak it out towards others um, that we are in community with that, that trigger us, those who need compassion. And when we're tempted to tell ourselves a story about what a terrible person they are, we can begin to, to, to change that narrative. We can begin to to get curious and wonder, I wonder what battle they're fighting, and begin to 
agree with the compassion of Jesus for them and for their hard battle. Boy, I wonder what it's like to be in their shoes. I wonder uh, what are their hopes, what's their fears, what's their pain, what's their backstory for which this behavior makes a lot of sense. What have they survived in their life? How might the God of all compassion treat them? And then if we have a chance to interact with them, we can show genuine interest in their life, listening with a non-judgmental, empathic kindness. Another way to think about compassion is a tender-hearted curiosity about the other person, a tender-hearted curiosity that would be very glad, actually, to listen with asking uh, questions, uh, not accusatory questions, but curious questions, tender-hearted questions for the battle that, uh, that this person is fighting. We clothe our hearts with, with a double layer of compassion. Um, we also clothe our relationships in forgiveness. That's the other layer. We clothe our relationships, especially close relationships, with forgiveness. Verse 13 says this, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against the other, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. When two or three are gathered in Jesus' name, there will be conflict. And you know what? Sometimes it's going to be over small irritations. And this is what Paul's referring to when he says bearing with one another. Um, bearing with one another, we can just think about the things that, um, you know, kind of you have, you and I have the ability to just let it go, right? It's the bad breath in the morning. It's the different tastes in music or food. It's when people don't text back fast enough or email back um, fast enough. There's a, there's a patience that we clothe our close relationships with, a give and take, where we resist the temptation to nag at every little thing. Instead, we, we offer grace and we bear with one another. Um, we are called to offer people grace in the body of Christ, to overlook the minor offenses that we encounter every day in our home, school, work, or the neighborhood. There's minor offenses in close relationships. But there's also, um, uh, sometimes there's major offenses that really hurt. And it's going to rise to the level of what Paul calls a complaint against one another. Um, something that requires forgiveness. If you think about close relationships, these are people close enough to hurt you. Close enough to hurt me. That means that there was once trust, trust enough to get close, and if you trust someone, there can be hurt. There will be hurt. Paul calls us to forgive each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. Um, maybe there's something in your wardrobe, your actual clothes, your, your drawers, or your um, closet. You find yourself wearing it a lot. You have one of those things, you have like a, a comfortable pair of shoes, just a go-to pair of shoes, or really nice, stretchy, yet uh, stylish pair of jeans, or a favorite shirt. Forgiveness is like that favorite pair of clothes for the people of God, that you're going to be pulling it out a lot and wearing it because it's going to be required in close relationships. A garment we wear every day. Um, every week. We become God's people 
through forgiveness, and then we express our identity by wearing forgiveness, clothing ourselves in it um, a lot. Now, forgiveness is not stuffing. And uh, forgiveness is not pretending nothing happened. Forgiveness um, is not forgive and forget. That's not a thing. Forgive and forget is not a thing. Um, In fact, the deeper the offense often, right, the harder it is to forget. Forgiveness is not the obliteration of our memories. Forgiveness is the baptism of our memories and the cleansing grace of Jesus. And that takes time to work its way in, takes a process. In some cases, um, it will mean going to the person who's offended us to address the grievance. We can't always do this. Not everyone is safe enough to handle a conversation like this. We can always forgive. We can always release the moral obligation that person has to pay for what they've done. We release them from that because we've been forgiven deeply by Jesus. Um, But after we've released them, um, we we can and should seek to repair um, that relationship through a, a conversation, especially if we're in enduring community with that person. And here's a tool that you can try. It's called the A and B conflict tool. It goes like this. Um, when you did A, I felt B. Um, you describe their behavior as best you can remember it, and then you describe your feelings as best you can remember it, um, like sad, angry, afraid. So um, when you said that harsh word to me, I, um, I felt ashamed. It's not, when you said that harsh word to me, I felt that you were a very toxic jerk. That's an interpretation. But it's a lot more vulnerable to say how you really felt. And then after sharing, you let them respond. You you give them space to make it right. You may need to do this with someone at a manual. Someone in your family, someone you're married to, your city group, even your Lent triad if you choose to join one. Um... Years ago, I was in a triad, actually, and um, I was with two other guys in a church, and we were seeking to become like Christ together, meeting every week, and um, we were growing closer. We were becoming friends. At the time, I was in an office job that I didn't like very much, and there were some unreasonable, ridiculous demands put on me at one point, and I chose to go on Facebook and compare my job with Dilbert which looking back was not the most mature thing for me to do. And one of the individuals in my triad commented on the post and said that both Dilbert and I should be thankful for our jobs, and then he posted a link to the unemployment rate. Now, I felt embarrassed. I felt angry. I had a complaint against another. And so here's someone that I trusted I did not expect him to give me a zinger through social media. Um, so we had a conversation after that. And I shared with him, hey, when you, when you posted that comment, I felt uh, like, I felt ashamed and I felt angry. Um, and he responded um, and apologized for that. And he also shared like, I don't think you should be complaining about your job like that. And he had a point. 
So we had a conversation, and, and I said, you know, I prefer that if, if there's something I've done that you want to address, that you do it privately. Come to me privately. And uh, there was repair done. And out of that experience came a deeper level of trust between us, even though that trust was strained temporarily. And our triad survived <laughs> um, and thrived. You know, we are God's people, right? And so we, we dress like God's people, but, but the clothes that we wear are the clothes of our attitudes and our behaviors. And so we clothe our hearts with, a, with compassion, a double layer of it. We clothe our closest relationships in forgiveness. Now, um, the end of Colossians uh, 3.13 gives us powerful reason for that forgiveness, and that is that the Lord has forgiven us. He's forgiven us so much. We think about all of the things that the Lord has forgiven us for, all the ways that we've offended him by how we've treated one another or treated him or treated this world. And it can just melt our hearts to remember that he has been so patient with us. He's forgiven us so much, and he doesn't hold us against it. That actually is the grounds upon which we can forgive everyone else. Now, what about in the wider community? It's one thing to do close relationships, the heart, the close relationships, but then there's just wider community. We're not close with everyone, but we can be in community with quite a number of people. And um, so we clothe our community with love and peace. Let's look at verses 14 and 15. And above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Now, we have an agreement. I get to use one Lord of the Rings sermon illustration per year. Okay, are you ready? Because I'm ready. All right. Bilbo Baggins gave his nephew Frodo a piece of clothing that saved his life on his way to Mount Doom. Bilbo gave Frodo what's called a mithril shirt, which was a... a, a <laughs> it was a shirt made of chain mail. It was lightweight and soft, yet it was strong enough to endure attacks. And you remember maybe reading the books or watching the movies where there was an attack on Frodo. Enemies, great enemies, took a spear and pinned him against the wall. And it looked like he was going to die. It looks like maybe he was dead. Um, the spear should have killed him. But in the end, the mithril shirt stopped the spear from piercing his flesh and killing him. Now, the love of Christ is our mithril shirt. We clothe our whole community in this shirt. It's soft yet tough. The love of Christ is not fake and sentimental and weak. The love of Christ is strong and hearty, and it stops the attacks of the enemy from killing us. When we put the mithril shirt of the love of Christ over our whole community, we can be bound together in perfect harmony. We can jump into the fray of community life together with people from different cultures and backgrounds and generations and political perspectives. We can show up to city group meetings and birthday parties and help each other move apartments and pray for one another and bring meals to people who are sick or people who are new parents. 
We can dance at weddings and weep at funerals as a community. The love of Christ says to one another, I'm glad that you exist, and I'm glad that you're a part of my life, and I'm glad that you're a part of my spiritual family, and I'm not afraid to get to know you and to let you into my life. I'm glad to sacrifice for you and receive your sacrifices for me. When an enemy throws a spear at you, I'm going to be part of the chainmail of the love of Christ, stopping it in its tracks. What about peace? That's love. What about peace? Verse 15, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, plural, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Now, we listen to that and we go, oh, yes, the peace, peace in my heart, peace in my heart, an individual experience. And that's a reality, and that's good, and Jesus wants that for us. Um, but the word you here is plural, and the word rule is often referred to the activity of a judge or an umpire, adjudicating disputes. This is a community, community reality, a peace that happens in a community. Judges and, judges and umpires, what do they do? They bring higher principles to bear over heated disputes, right? The, uh, the role of an of a, of a umpire, when we watch the Cubs and the Sox, there's a heated dispute. Was it a ball or a strike? We look to the umpire to adjudicate it, to keep the game going. The, pe the peace of Christ is like that umpire. The peace of Christ is like a judge bringing higher principles to bear when we have disputes. Um, here's a paraphrase which clarifies what I believe Paul intended. Let the peace that Christ won for us rule over your common life since you were all called to be a unified body. Here's a uh, different spin on this. When things get awkward and tense, as they will, what higher principles are we going to fall back on as a community? What should we instinctively do to work through it? The early church had a weekly practice to let the peace of Christ rule over their community, and it was called the kiss of peace. Now, in Roman Empire, non-romantic kissing was a way that society was held together, but you would only do it with people that would, uh, you were on the same status with socially. And so you, it would be like a handshake, or who do you have lunch with? during the week. It's like people that you want to associate with. It was a non-romantic way of making a social connection and making a social statement. Um, who would you put a selfie, uh, who, who would you get a selfie with and put it on your social media feed? Most of the people that you associate with or people that you want to associate with. People that you don't want to associate with, you would not be putting that on your feed. You would not be spending time with them. So, Every time the church would gather, they would, they would put a spin on this in the early church. And before they would come to the table, they would offer each other the kiss of peace. Not, uh, men with men, women with women, and it was a way for them to say, we are on one level together. The world out there might stratify us and put you up here and put me down here. Or we might have a conflict between us but we're going to work that out before we come to the table of our Lord. We're going to work it out with each other. Here's how one historian described it. This non-homogenous group of people had to learn to live together. This was not easy. They missed each other's cultural cues, and they, uh, they offended, each other, offended each other. They viewed their common life as a miracle. 
but they were on a journey in which miscues and misunderstandings were inevitable. So when they assembled for the weekly services in which they prayed and shared in the Lord's Supper, in the kiss of peace, they celebrated their unity in Christ and asked forgiveness for the sins that hurt each other. Um, and we practice this too. We don't do the non-romantic kiss because that's not our culture, but we do the peace of Christ. That's the heart behind the peace of Christ. It's not just say hello to your neighbor, which I force you to do every week. Um, it's it's uh, expressing to one another, you and I are at peace with one another. I'm not above you. You're not above me. Um, I forgive you. Would you forgive me? You get close enough to see the whites in each other's eyes. You get close enough to be humble. You get close enough to work through disagreements. You know, our common life is a miracle too, isn't it? Our, our common bond is made possible because Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ will come again. And because that's true, we all have his supernatural resources to work through our conflicts and our awkward moments. Um, this is such a high calling. This is such a supernatural journey that we're on. And just like we look back on the early church with wonder and amazement that he brought together Jew and Gentile, slave and free, um, he brings us together too. People are going to look back on us and, and say, well, how did the church in Chicago, how did the Christians in Chicago work out their differences in, a, in an age that was totally polarized, where people were pulling each other apart and tribalized and and seeking their own selfish, best, uh, you know, selfish interests and um, accusing one another. And how did the church in Chicago work it out? Let's look back to their record. All of heaven watches us. The saints who have gone before watch us and cheer us on because we're in this. We're in this. We're in this moment together as the followers of Jesus. This is our day as the people of God. As the song says, let us be known by our love. Let us be known by our peace. Let love and peace rule over our community. We clothe our hearts in a double layer of compassion because we are God's people. We clothe our closest relationships in forgiveness because we are God's beloved and holy ones. We clothe our community in Christ's love and peace because we belong to him. We've been marked as his own forever. That's quite the outfit, that's the drip, as the, some of the kids say, <laughs> all right? All right, so it's worth asking this, what becomes possible once we put on those clothes? You ever think about that? What, if, if you think about if we were to take Paul seriously and put this outfit on, do you know what could happen? Um, Christ will begin to speak and act among us. He can trust us when we wear his clothes. He can trust us to be his mouthpiece with one another. Um, and the true, good, and beautiful reality of Jesus will be richly present among us. This is what verse 16 describes. Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Again, you is plural. Dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing songs and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your hearts, thankfulness in your hearts 
to God. You know, uh, the New York Times columnist David Brooks once noted that students learn best from people that they love. He experienced this as a professor, and then um, he did some research, and he found that the, the cognitive science backs this up, that we learn best from people that we love, and we also learn best from people who love us back. And so it makes sense that when our community is clothed with Christ's love, we can begin to start learning from one another. The word of Christ can dwell in us richly. We can even teach and admonish one another in all wisdom. Um, once we're clothed with the double layer of compassion, Christ can trust us enough to encourage each other with his living word. If we've been through the fire together and forgiven one another, he can trust us to build each other up with promptings from his Holy Spirit. Um, back to my friend who confronted me on social media <laughs> with that comment. Um, in the years since that episode, um, I've lost count of the number of ways that Christ has spoken to me and encouraged me through this friend. I am so glad that we did not cut each other out of each other's lives um, after that conflict because I would have cut myself off. If I would have cut him off, I would have cut off the way that the word of Christ could specifically and richly speak into my heart and soul, which it has done too many times. I, I, has, I have been shaped by it through his voice. Um, we can learn from one another if we can forgive one another. You know what we can also do? We can create together. Paul encouraged us to be singing hymns and psalms and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your hearts to God. Can you hear the language of creativity there? Drawing on the rich resources of the psalms, drawing on the rich resources of, uh, of hymns and the, uh, the, uh, the witness of Christian art through the centuries, but also we're going to create with it too, with each other. Here, beauty is added to truth. The beauty of Christ dwells richly in our community as we engage in artistic expression, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in our hearts to God. Without love and compassion, beauty and art can become competitive. Some of you know this. We can get sidetracked in our creative culture by paying too much attention to talent, status, and image. But if we're clothed in compassion, and if we're, we're marked by this empathy, we can, be, we can be people who create as one body. We can co-create. Clothed in the peace of Christ, we can sing of Christ as one body. Paul says, and be thankful, literally be Eucharistic. Imagine all of us here around this communion table, all of us surrounding it. Um, lifting up our hearts together, singing the song of heaven together, creating, speaking to one another as the Holy Spirit gives utterance, the word of Christ dwelling richly between us, the word of Christ reverberating and overflowing among us, and all of it landing on the communion table and, and ascending to God as a worthy sacrifice that is both true and beautiful and very, very good. Imagine how richly the word of Christ could dwell 
with us on Sundays, but also in city groups and triads and um, all kinds of formal and informal ways, the ways that we reach out in mission, the ways that we show hospitality. Um, What if we were to put on the clothes of God's beloved people? We would learn together in a way that would enrich our head and our heart. We would create together as we draw on the riches of the Psalms, but also create new works of art. We could build each other up as we listen to the Holy Spirit and speak into each other's lives. We can give thanks to God together around the communion table. That's what's possible if we put on the clothes of Jesus. Um, But let's just start with where we're at right now. You know, let's just start with where you're at right now. There's just one final diagnostic question. Um, Because the only way we're going to get there is just the way of humility. We can't pretend to, to be something we're not. And so let's look at verse 17 as something to take with us together. Whatever you do, and whatever you do, Monday morning, Sunday morning, um, Saturday night, whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of Jesus our Lord, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And I just, you know, we can gloss over this because it sounds familiar to our ears if we've grown up in church. But just being very practical, I mean, everything we say and everything we do, if we've been united with Jesus, can be Jesus literally acting through us, speaking through us. If you think about everything that you do in your closest relationships and everything that you do in the community and everything that you do, even in the story that you tell yourself about someone who's irritating you, everything you do or say You are as an ambassador of Jesus Christ because you are God's chosen one. I am God's chosen one. We are holy and beloved together, handpicked to be God's new people for a new creation. But the new creation starts not in grandiose actions, but in humble kindness and compassion and love and peace And not in a way that's just a religious mumbo-jumbo covering up all of the, you know, bad habits that we have, but actually changing our habits from the inside out. And that's only possible through the power of God, through the Holy Spirit. So to that end, let's pray together. Lord, we have this job But before we step into this job, Lord, we need to put on the clothes. And it's hard as I'll get out sometimes to to get comfortable in those clothes. And so would you, by your spirit, clothe us? We want to cooperate with that, but we do need you to clothe us, Lord, with compassion. We need you to clothe us with love and peace. We need you to clothe us with forgiveness again and again and again. Help us all, Lord. I pray, Lord, for Emmanuel Anglican Church, every person, every triad, every city group, every informal friend group, every artist, every leader, every man, woman, and child, Lord. I pray that we would be clothed in the clothes of Jesus, the clothes of God's people. And I pray, Lord, that there would be just specific ways this week where we can learn a new way of being your people and what we say and what we do. 
And I pray that this church would be known for the word of Christ, dwelling richly, Lord, in word and spirit and sacrament and art. And I pray that this would be a church, Lord, where we can hear your voice, where we can be trusted with the word and beauty of Jesus. And I pray this all in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.